This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is Ringgit and Sense. Sustainable assets under management has increased to US 2.8 trillion dollars as of June 2023, a significant sum as more investors seek to align their own ESG values with investments. Even in the fixed income space, green, social, sustainability, transition and sustainability linked debt has also hit 4.2 trillion in the middle of this year. But what is the ESG landscape in ASEAN? Is there sufficient depth and breadth to it? Do ESG returns actually do better than comparable benchmarks? Question I pose to Jiga Shah. He's the Global Head of Sustainability Research at Maybank Investment Banking Group. Thank you for joining us this morning. Now, for some context, we are basing this on a recent report that you did, which I can see involved a great deal of number crunching and analysis. So I want to start with understanding the ESG landscape in what you call ASEAN 6. Has there been any improvement in terms of disclosure and reporting that goes beyond just making a few grandstanding statements? And we are trying to put up over here whether ESG is actually delivering results uh, in the ASEAN markets just like it is doing in the global markets. In terms of uh, the ESG disclosures and data availability, uh, there is a significant improvement uh, in the coverage. So if I just take one ESG data service provider that is Sustainalytics, their coverage of companies uh, in the year-to-date period, that is, uh, say, September 2023, over the same period last year, is 52% higher in terms of number of companies. Uh, And if I exclude the unlisted companies uh, that they have covered, there is an increase of 27% year over year in the listed companies universe that they have rated. So there is increase in the listed company space, which is happening partly due to regulations in every country requiring larger companies to publish uh, non-financial data or the sustainability reports, etc. And there is also a welcome trend that the companies which are not listed and which may be trying to raise debt, that is sustainable debt, or they are trying to do IPO, they are preparing in advance uh, so that they can uh, disclose more of the ESG data and that way they can uh, invite more investors to participate in their story. So there is definitely a welcome trend. Other than that, there is also evidence from the increase in the TCFD reporting, which is considered to be a sort of uh, gold standard for ESG reporting and disclosure. Uh, There is increase in the SBTI, that is the science-based target initiatives, net zero uh, pledges and commitment by the companies in ASEAN uh, and uh, the GRI-based reporting. Uh, So all of this, uh, which is very critical from a point of view of uh, quality of disclosure, is also taking place. So quantity and quality of ESG disclosures and data is happening in ASEAN. And that is happening at a time when I think ESG has got definitely very bad media uh, in the last one, one and a half years, especially in the US. Uh, But on the underlying level, there is substantial amount of positive activity that is happening. uh, And corporates as well as fund managers are trying to align more with the ESG practices. 
Okay, and at Maybank, there is an in-house proprietary methodology right behind the study of the ASEAN ESG universe. Tell us about it because I, th- I understand that certain filters are used. What are they? Maybank's uh, ESG 2.0 tear sheet that comes out with uh, several of the companies that we cover in our ASEAN 6 markets is trying to look at companies which are at different stages of transition. Basically, we look at uh, at least, I think, 50 plus indicators uh, covering E, S, and G. uh, And then we have divided them into quantitative factors, which uh, look at the progress that they've made over a two, three year time period. uh, And that tells you whether they are walking the talk in terms of transitioning as a company which is reducing environmental emissions, uh, energy consumption, uh, and uh, such other areas in which they can be more environment friendly, including uh, management of waste, uh, water, and other biodiversity related areas. Then uh, we look at social indicators which are closely connected to the well-being of the employees and including the supply chain of the company. And then governance factors, which are which are pretty standard across the globe, uh, particularly for listed companies. We then uh, divide uh, this uh, into a scoring, uh, which allows us to see that uh, how the quantitative parameters have progressed for the company, uh, how the qualitative parameters also are progressing for the company. Uh, We give a weightage of uh, 50% to the quantitative parameters, 25% to the qualitative parameters, which basically suggests whether the company has uh, policies in place to implement uh, some of the important initiatives, whether its board or top management is involved in those initiatives, because many times it so happens that these are just big statements and there is no policy level connection uh, or the remuneration of the people, the key people is not connected with the actual implementation of those objectives. So there is a disconnect. Uh, And uh, thirdly, we look at targets. So sometimes companies have targets which are going into like 2050 type of period, but there is no target for 2025. That means that they are not really serious about it and they have just given a statement. So we try to assess the various targets also. And here uh, the one underlying theme is materiality because what is material for an oil and gas sector is not material for financial services sector and what is material for consumer sector is not material for transportation sector so we look at that concept also and and try to put out those uh, parameters which are material for a particular sector and company we then arrive at a score uh, based on the weightage that I just mentioned to you. Mm-hmm. And if that score is above 50, then it is above average. If it is below 50, then it is below average. And we find very few companies which are like, say, 60 or 70 plus kind of score. Uh, but there are many companies which have a 50 plus score. Uh, and, and that is something which is uh, conveying that the company is having a good readiness for transition because every company today is transitioning based on the climate change and based on the net zero objectives of the country as well as uh, the company. Okay. Now, I'm curious among the ASEAN six countries that you've done your analysis on, 
which have the most companies that have scores above 50. And the reason for this is I'm wondering whether there is sufficient breadth and depth to the ESG universe in the ASEAN 6. So not surprisingly, but uh, the coverage of uh, ESG uh, data and ratings in countries such as Singapore, Malaysia and Thailand is the highest. And if I add uh, Indonesia to that, then it, it covers about 90% of the total coverage. And uh, the coverage in Vietnam is just 1%. So Philippines and Vietnam are the two countries where the coverage can improve substantially. Uh, the second thing, if I give you example of Sustainalytics coverage, uh, on an average, when we looked at the listed companies in each countries in the ASEAN, uh, there is about 15% uh, coverage that is rated, listed companies universe that is rated. So, so you can see that there is still a substantial amount of companies which are not rated. Um, in terms of uh, the overall quality of data and the uh, corporate uh, voluntary actions on disclosure uh, and compliance, uh, you find that uh, Singapore, Malaysia and Thailand are on the top and they are also seeing a good amount of improvement. The other notable thing is that a very large number of companies, almost 58 to 60 percent of companies within this universe, whether it is a universe that we cover or sustainability covers, has seen an improvement in uh, the ESG risk rating on a year-on-year -year basis. Uh, and that means that a lot of companies are trying to consciously uh, make an improvement in terms of their emissions and their other uh, initiatives towards the uh, towards the climate, biodiversity, etc. On Ring in Census Mornings, Jiga Shah, Global Head of Sustainability Research at Maybank Investment Banking Group. After the break, why do companies that have good ESG scores outperform? BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Cents on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Ringgit and Sense. This morning, our guest is Jiga Shah, Global Head of Sustainability Research and Maybank Investment Banking Group. Before the break, is there sufficient depth and breadth to the ESG universe in the ASEAN 6? Now, Jiga, for an investor who wants to pursue an, their own ESG mandate, one common resistance I hear is that the returns of these type of investments might actually be lower. You might have to sacrifice uh, the returns. But what does your study actually tell us? Well, uh, you know, we have done a study comparing the uh, sustainalytics uh, coverage universe and the MSCI for the ASEAN six countries. And we find that on a one, three and five year timeline, uh, the sustainalytics universe of medium to low risk companies uh, is outperforming for all the different periods. And that is quite a substantial outperformance, uh, you know, when we see that. Uh, we have provided the exact details on the, on the page seven of our report, including a table for each of the countries. So, there is an outperformance over the MSCI index of each country as well as for ASEAN. Uh, and this is 
over a one, three, and five-year period. So that is something which is quite consistent. Secondly, uh, when we looked at about 174 different indices of Morningstar, which is at a regional and global level, uh, and we looked at it vis-a-vis -vis the other mainstream benchmarks, uh, we saw that the ESG indices had outperformed. And that analysis also we have provided uh, in our report. Now, basically what is happening is that uh, the investors at large are increasingly finding that the intangible factors or the non-financial uh, data is affecting the stock returns. In fact, uh, today, uh, out of S&P 500 valuation, uh, some studies have pointed out that almost 90% of the valuation belongs to the intangibles. So the tangibles related valuation is coming down and the importance of intangible related factors in the valuation is increasing. Mm. Now, this can only be found out if ESG data is properly disclosed and measured uh, and it's also quantified. So this is something which is developing and uh, more and more standards are coming at a global level, which are uh, simplifying the reporting. And the biggest of that change will take place uh, in January 2024, when the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standard Boards, S1 and S2 become live, where they have to be incorporated in every financial report. Uh, and once that happens, uh, there will be a lot of uh, harmonization of that at a global level uh, and a correct estimation of the company's financial health, their enterprise value, cash flows, balance sheet items will come out, uh, which is today not uh, really transparent and clear to us. Okay. So, yeah, so this these are some of the important points when we uh, look at the uh, sustainability reporting and the outperformance of the stock. So this as the reporting increases, uh, in our view, this outperformance should also increase as long as companies are compliant. Jigar, do you think a reason for this outperformance could also be scarcity premium? Or there used to be a scarcity premium. In a way, and the reason for this is because there's been a lot of money inflows into the ESG space. It's been very significant. And here, even here in Malaysia, the country's biggest funds like EPF and Coop claim that sustainability is at, the, is at the heart of their investments. Could this be the reason why these stocks which have high ESG scores then also outperform? Yes, you can say so because, uh, you know, most of the good quality of uh, funds and fund managers are trying to align themselves with what is known globally as a PRI, Principles for Responsible Investment. And once you have the PRI alignment, uh, you want all the responsible investment principles to run through your investment process, which means basically you are taking stewardship for some of the material ESG factors uh, and you want to engage with the companies that you are invested in and you want them to uh, improve on their environmental, social and governance indicators. So this is definitely helping the companies and it is also helping the investors Apart from that, it is also helping the society, which was mm -hmm. not the objective earlier. So it's a win-win for everyone. And it clearly helps 
improve the stock uh, returns. Uh, we have to also uh, understand here that uh, th there is a set of companies who are ahead in this and who are having a very strong strategy alignment and the business performance and product alignment. Uh, so if you take companies such as Tesla, you take companies such as Unilever, uh, Nike, uh, and several others, including the big tech companies uh, in the US, uh, their alignment with the ESG is pretty good. Mm. And it is allowing them to outperform and their overall risk rating is low. Uh, where, where the allocation is currently happening. So all the fund flow is going into the lower risk uh, ESG uh, companies uh, and, and that is sort of helping them to outperform. Okay, and recently Bursa Malaysia, they also launched their carbon exchange. I'm curious, if I'm an investor, is, is this currently out of bounds for me because is it only for institutional investors or corporates? Is this a way to play the ESG theme though? So at the moment, I don't think it is available for uh, small investors. Mm. It is uh, more meant for corporate who want to offset some of their emissions, which they are not able to reduce in the normal course of business. Uh, so there, there are industries such as uh, airlines, cement, oil and gas. They are not able to decarbonize their business or reduce their energy consumption to the extent of 100%. Even over the period of next 20, 30, 40 years, it will not become zero. So there will have some residual emission. And to reduce that residual emission, they would be allowed to develop certain offsets or credits, uh, which could be in the form of uh, renewables, which could be in the form of nature-based, that is afforestation, reforestation, uh, energy efficiency, and so on. So these credits are developed uh, with a certain uh, verification and validation based on the standards that are approved by the Bursa and such other exchanges. And they are listed on the exchanges to provide that kind of transparency, reliability, uh, and credibility so that uh, large uh, corporate can come and buy those mm. uh, in a way that also helps another industry such as uh, the nature-based industry to come up. Uh, a lot of the work is happening on, on say, reducing for deforestation and degradation of the land. Uh, similarly, uh, on the ocean side, marine ecosystem uh, and in developing other energy efficient technologies. So that way, uh, you know, co corporates are able to develop uh, the offsetting mechanism and some other industries get a boost uh, out of the uh, initiative that they have taken. So it's a sort of win-win situation, but this is only over a long time period and it is still in a nascent stage, I would say. But the platform launched by Bursa is very encouraging and over a period of time, the potential of this industry runs into billions of dollars and there is a mountain to scale in terms of the emission offset. So it's going to be very productive in the long term. Okay, so good news, Jiga. It sounds like there's enough depth and breadth to the market. There's clearly more companies that are compliant with ESG standards. But at the end of the day, as an investor, what can I do to ensure that my ESG investments are true to labour and not just merely greenwashing? Uh, again, this is a good question and 
there are some issues that have cropped up in terms of climate washing or green washing, impact washing, all of this is happening. Uh, it is happening partly because over-exaggeration or, uh, you know, claims or credits made by companies. This could be, uh, to some extent, due to lack of uh, data assurance. Uh, there is not so much amount of capacity and because every company wants to look good in terms of their EST disclosures, they are rushing to disclose without really having that kind of verification and quality assurance of data. But it is something that is coming down and as the capacity builds up and as the harmonization of reporting standards takes place uh, very soon, uh, this will reduce. Uh, this, certainly, uh, the uh, litigations are also happening in this area because of the wrong reporting. And that will also make sure that uh, this uh, kind of practice is reduced. Uh, because of the penalties, fine that uh, companies pay and the reputation loss uh, that uh, takes place. Uh, having said that, I, I would like to also make it clear that it's not something that is going to stop completely. In financial markets, e even after last 40-50 years of integrated financial reporting system globally, we still see some scams sometimes. So it's something similar, uh, but yes, uh, the current uh, number of greenwashing cases is very high and it needs to come down for a better confidence generation and comfort level of regulators, investors, corporate, everyone. Uh, and it, I think in the next three to five years, with the help of better regulation, uh, laws specific to addressing greenwashing when you are reporting for equity or debt uh, funds, uh, and all of that uh, effort will lead to uh, lesser uh, greenwashing. That's how I would put it. And investors need to remain cautious about it while they are uh, pursuing investment into uh, ESG-led uh, equity or debt. On that note, thank you for your time. Today on Ringgit Sense was Jigar Shah, Global Head of Sustainability Research at Maybank Investment Banking Group. Up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by my colleagues on Enterprise. I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.